I read public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. That's the only books I can read without getting sued. So it limits my material uh, to people that wrote a really long time ago. And everyone who lived a really long time ago were racist or homophobic or sexist or anti-Semitic or xenophobic. Uh, Anything you can imagine, they were it. Because that's just the way people were back then. And they all wrote books. So if anything I read today is offensive or upsetting, uh, don't hold me responsible. My hands are tied. There's nothing else for me to read. You could always turn it into a drinking game or something. Ah, the holidays. The watchword being obligation. I have obligations, for example, like watching the guinea pig for my autistic friend. I thought that'd be cute. He's going out of town with his family, and he asked me if I'd watch his guinea pig. I have two old cats, but I figured "Eh, I can make this work. The guinea pigs will sit in some kind of cage of some sort, and I'll take care of them and make sure no one bothers them. Uh, Then, you know, whatever. But he's going to be gone for like five days. And I thought, okay, all right, I'll still do it. And then he gave me a giant list of to-dos and how they're fed and what they're fed. And I think he assumed that I was going to have a cage for them, which I explained to him, I own nothing of guinea pig materials and you will have to provide them for the sweet, sweet pigs to be cared for in my house. He also said I have to let them out and let them run around, but they will eat all my electrical cords. So this has turned into a nightmare. Another watchword is tradition. I have the tradition of setting up a Christmas town with my sister every year, and we've learned to set up the Christmas town to make it like the uh, neighborhood we grew up in as kids. Uh, the neighborhood we grew up in was kind of crappy, uh, kind of poor, but there was one family that was really poor, and they were the worst. It was the Trittons. They were monstrous, horrible people that ran around with no shirts on and stuff. It was weird. So, every year we take one house and we set it up to be like the Trittons, where we have uh, ceramic garbage cans with ceramic uh, raccoons going through them, and ceramic drunk people laying on their back holding ceramic little cups. And we take one of the house that should be theirs and we turn off the little light bulb inside. And then, every Christmas Eve, we gather the family around and we ceremoniously turn on the light bulb to light their home, as if the gas and electric company had a heart on the day that Christ is born to... Let them enjoy their holiday night. And so that's what we do. Which I'll be doing this year. uh, Cramming it in because there's not enough time. But that's another aspect of the holidays I don't want to get into. Let's dive into some short stories for this episode. So, this week, I'm going to be reading a small collection of short stories uh, that are Christmas-related. Next week, I will be reading one story that's Christmas-related. It's part of the Onslaught of Christmas by Leaves of Glen. So, let's dive into our first story. Christmas at Fizzywig's Warehouse by Charles Dickens. 
Yo-ho, uh, uh, my boys, said Fezziwig. Uh, no more work tonight. Christmas Eve, dick. Christmas, Ebenezer, let's have the shutters up, cried old Fezziwig, with a sharp clap of his hands, before a man can say Jack Robinson. Hilly-ho, uh, cried old Fezziwig, skipping down from the high desk with a wonderful agility. Clear away, my lads. Let's have lots of room here. Hilly-ho, Dick. Uh, cheer up, Ebenezer. Clear away. There has nothing they wouldn't have cleared away or couldn't have cleared away with old Fezziwig looking on. It was done in a minute. Every movable was packed off, as if it were dismissed from public life forevermore. The floor was swept and watered, and the lamps were trimmed fuel was heaped upon the fire, and the warehouse was a, as snug and warm and dry and bright as a ballroom as you would desire to see on a winter's night. In came a fiddler uh, with a music book, and went up to the lofty desk and made an orchestra of it, and tuned like fifty stomach aches. In came Mrs. Fizzywig, uh, one vast substantial smile. In came the three Mrs. Fizzywig, beaming and lovable, huh? In came the three Mrs. Fizzywig, even though Mrs. Fizzywig just came in. All right, whatever. In came the six followers whose hearts they broke. In came all the young men and women employed in the business. In came the housemaid with her uh, cousin, the baker. In came the cook with her brother's particular friend, the milkman. In came the boy from over the way who was suspected of not having bought enough for his master, trying to hide himself behind the girl from next door, but... One who was proved to have had her ears pulled by her mistresses. In they all came, however, in every how. Away they all went. Eh, Twenty couple at once. Hands half round the back again and the other way. Down the middle and up again. Round and round in various stages of affectionate groping. Uh, grouping. Well, I took it to a new level. Old top couple always turning up in the wrong place. New top couple starting off again as soon as they all got there. All top couples at last, but not a bottom one to help them. <laughs> when this result was brought about, the fiddler struck up Sir Roger de Coverley. Then old Fizzywig uh, stood out to dance with Mrs. Fizzywig, top couple too, uh, with a good stiff piece of work cut for them. Three or four and twenty pairs of partners of people who were not to be trifled with, people who would dance and have no notion of walking. But if they had been thrice as many, oh, four times as many, old Fizzywig would have been a match for them. And so would Mrs. Fizzywig. As to her, she was worthy to be his partner in every sense of the term. It is, it's that the high praise. Uh, tell me higher and I'll use it. Uh, a positive light appeared to issue from Fizzywig's calves. They shone in every part of the dance like moons. Uh, you couldn't have predicted at any given time what would become of them next. And when old Fizzywig and Mrs. Fizzywig had gone all through the dance... Advance and retire, both hands to your partner, bow and curtsy, corkscrew, thread and needle, and back again to your place. Fizzywig, quote, cut, unquote, cut so deftly that he appeared to wink with his legs, and came upon his feet again with a stagger. When the clock struck eleven, the domestic ball broke up. Mr. and Mrs. Fizzywig took their stations, uh, uh, one on either side of the door, and shaking hands with every person individually as they, he or she went out, it wished them... Him or her, a Merry Christmas. Well, that barely made any sense, but okay, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that. Next up, The Fir Tree, reprinted by permission of the Houghton Mifflin Company. Uh, it's, a, it's by Hand Christian Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> 
Out in the woods stood a nice little fir tree. The place he had was a very good one. The sun shone on him as to fresh air. There was enough of that. Around him grew many large-sized comrades, pines as well as firs. But the little fir wanted so very much to be a grown-up tree. Uh, He did not think of the warm sun and the fresh air. He did not care for the little cottage children that ran about and prattled when they were in the woods looking for wild strawberries. The children often came with a whole pitcher full of berries, uh, or a long row of them threaded on a straw, and sat down near the young tree and said, Oh, how pretty he is. Uh, What a nice little fur. But this was what the fir tree could not bear to hear. At the end of the year, he had shot up a good deal, uh, and after another year, he was... Another long bit taller. For with fir trees, one can always tell by the shoots how many years old they are. Oh, were I but a high tree as the others are, he sighed. Then I would be able to spread out my branches uh, with the tops and look into the wide world. Then would the birds build nests among my branches, and when there was a breeze, I could bend with as much stateliness as the others. Neither the sunbeams nor the birds nor the red clouds which morning and evening sailed above them gave the little tree any pleasure. In the winter, when the snow lay glittering on the ground, a hare would often come leaping along and jump right over the little tree. Oh, that made him so angry. But two winters were passed, and third, the tree was so large that the hare was obligated to go round it. To grow and grow, to get older and be tall, thought the tree. That... After all, is the most delightful thing in the world. In autumn, the woodcutters always came and felled some of the largest trees. This happened every year in a young fir tree uh, that had now grown to a very comely hmm, size. It trembled at the sight, for the magnificent great trees fell to the earth with noise and cracking, and branches were lopped off, and the trees looked long and bare. They were hardly to be recognized, and then they were laid in carts, and the horses dragged them out of the woods. Where did they go? What became of them? In spring, when the swallows and the storks came, the tree asked them, "Eh, Don't you know where they've been taken? Have you not met them anywhere? The swallows did not know anything about it, but the stork looked musing, nodded his head and said, "Eh, Yes, I think I know. I met many ships as I was flying hither from Egypt. (laughs) On these ships were magnificent masts, and I venture to assert that It was uh, they that smelt so of fur. I may congratulate you, for they lifted themselves on high most majestically. Oh, were I but uh, old enough to fly across the sea. But how does the sea look in reality? Uh, What's it like? That would take a long time to explain, said the stork, and with these words off he went. Like a jerk. He's one of those people that keeps saying, Oh, I love to travel. And you go, Oh, what was it like? Oh, you wouldn't understand. You're not not like me. You don't love to travel. So rejoice in thy growth, said the sunbeams. Rejoice in thy vigorous growth, and in the fresh life that moveth within thee. And the wind kissed the tree, and the dew wept tears over him. But the fir understood it not. When Christmas came, quite young trees were cut down. Trees which often were not even as large or of the same age as the fir tree, who could never rest but always wanted to be off. These young trees, and they were always the finest looking, retained their branches. They were laid on carts and the horses drew them out of the woods. 
Uh, where are they going to? asked the fir. They are not taller than I. Uh, there is one indeed that was considerably shorter. And why do they retain all their branches? Uh, whither are they taken? Hmm. We know, uh, we know, chirped the sparrows. We have peeped uh, into the windows of the town below. We know whither they are taken. The greatest splendor and the greatest magnificence one can imagine await them. We peeped uh, through the windows and saw them planted in the middle of a warm room and ornamented with the most splendid things, with gilded apples, with gingerbread, uh, toys, and many hundred lights. And then... "'asked the fir tree, trembling in every bow. "'And then, what happens then?' "'We did not see anything more. "'It was incomparably beautifully. "'I would fain to know if I am destined "'for so glorious a career,' cried the tree, rejoicing. "'That is still better than to cross the sea. "'What a longing do I suffer. Uh, "'Were Christmas but come, I am now tall, "'and my branches spread like the others "'that were carried off last year. "'Oh!' Uh, were I but already on the cart, were I in the warm room with all the splendor and magnificence, yes, then something better, something still grander will surely follow, or wherefore would, should they thrust ornament at me, something better, something still grander must follow, but what? Oh, how long, how I suffer, I do not know myself what is the matter with me. "'Rejoice in our presence,' said the air in the sunlight. "'Rejoice in thy own fresh youth.' "'But the tree did not rejoice at all. "'He grew and grew, and he was green both winter and summer. "'People that saw him said, "'Oh, what a fine tree!' "'And toward Christmas he was one of the first that was cut down. "'The axe struck deep into the very pith. "'The tree fell to the earth with a sigh, and he felt a pang. "'It was like a swoon.' He could not think of happiness, for he was sorrowful at being separated from his home, from the place where he had sprung up. He knew well that he should never see his dear old comrades, the little bushes and flowers around him, any more. Perhaps not even the birds. The departure was not at all agreeable. The tree only came to himself when he was unloaded in a courtyard with the other trees, and heard a man say, oh, that one's splendid.' Uh, we don't want the others. Then two servants came in, rich livery, and carried the fir tree into a large and splendid drawing room. Portraits were hanging on the walls, and near the white porcelain stove stood two large Chinese vases with lions on the covers. There, too, were large easy chairs, silken sofas, large tables full of picture books, and full of toys worth hundreds and hundreds of crowns. At least the children said so, and the fir tree was stuck upright in a cask that was filled with sand, but no one could see that it was a cask, for a green cloth was hung all around it, and it stood on a large, gaily-colored carpet. Oh, how the tree quivered! Oh, what was to happen? The servants, as well as the young ladies, decorated it. On one branch there hung little nets, cut out of colored paper, and each net was filled with sugar plums, and among the other uh, bows, gilded apples, and walnuts were suspended, looking as though they had grown there. The little blue and white tapers were placed among the leaves, dolls that looked for all the world like men. The tree had never beheld such before. Were seen among the foliage and the very top of the star, the gold tinsel was fixed. It was really splendid, beyond description splendid. This evening! And they all, how it will shine this evening. Oh, thought the tree, if the evening were to but come, if the tapers were but lighted, and then I wonder what will happen. 
Perhaps the other trees from the forest will come to look at me, and perhaps the sparrows will beat against the window panes. I wonder if I shall take root here, and winter and summer stand covered with ornaments. Eh. He knew very much about the matter, but he was so impatient that for sheer longing he got a pain in his back. And this with trees is the same thing as a headache with us. The candles were now lighted. Ah, what brightness, what splendor. The tree trembled so in every bow that one of the tapers set fire to the foliage. It blazed up splendidly. Help, help, cried the young ladies, and they quickly put out the fire. Now the tree did not even dare tremble. What a state he was in. He was so uneasy lest he should lose something of his splendor that he was quite bewildered amidst the glare and brightness. Uh, when suddenly both folding doors opened and a troop of children rushed in as if they would upset the tree. The older persons followed quietly. The little ones stood quite still. But it was only for a moment. Then they shouted so that the whole place uh, re-echoed with their rejoicing. They danced around the tree, and one present after the other was pulled off. "'What are they about?' thought the tree. "'What's to happen now?' And the lights burned down to the very branches, and as they burned down, they were put out, one after the other. And then the children had permission to plunder the tree. So they fell upon it in such violence that all its branches cracked. If it had not been fixed firmly in the cask, it was certainly tumbled down. The children danced about with their beautiful playthings. No one looked at the tree except the old nurse, who peep between the branches, but it's only to see if there's a fig uh, or an apple left that had been forgotten. A story, uh, a story, cried the children, drawing in a little fat man toward the tree. He seated himself under it and said, Now we are in the shade and the tree can listen too, but I shall tell only one story. Now, which will you have? What about Evie Ivy Avity? don't know what that is, or about Clumpy Dumpy, who tumbled downstairs, and yet, after all, came to the throne and married the princess. Uh, Ivity Avity, cried some. Clumpy Dumpy, cried the others. There was such a bawling and screaming, the fir tree alone was silent. And he thought to himself, am I not to bawl with the rest? Am I to do nothing, whatever? For he was one of the company, and had done what he had to do. And the old man told about Clumpy Dumpy, thank God, because I can't pronounce the other one, that tumbled down, who, notwithstanding, came to the throne, and at last married the princess. And the children clapped their hands, and they cried out, Oh, go on, do go on. They wanted to hear about Ivity Avity, too. But the little man only told them about Clumpy Dumpy. <laughs> the fir tree stood quite still and absorbed in thought. The birds in the woods had never related the like of this. Clumpy Dumpy fell downstairs, and yet he married the princess. Yes, yes, that's the way of the world, thought the fir tree, and believed it all, because the man who told the story was so good-looking. Well, well, who knows? Perhaps I may fall downstairs, too, and get a princess as a wife. And he looked forward uh, with joy to the morrow, when then he hoped to be decked out again with lights and playthings and fruits and tinsel. I won't tremble tomorrow, thought the fir tree. I will enjoy to the full of all my splendor. Tomorrow I shall hear again the story of Clumpy Dumpy and perhaps that of Ivity Avity, too. And the whole night the tree stood still in deep thought. In the morning... The servant and the housemaid came in. Now, then, the splendor will begin. 
again, thought the fir tree, but they dragged him out of the room and up the stairs onto the loft. And here in the dark corner, where no daylight could enter, they left him. Eh, what's the meaning of this? thought the tree. What am I to do here? What shall I hear now, I wonder? And he leaned against the wall, lost in reverie. Time enough had he, too, for his reflections for days and nights passed on, and nobody came up. And then, at last, somebody did come. It was only to put some great trunks in the corner out of the way. There stood the tree, quite hidden. It seemed as if he had been entirely forgotten. "'Tis now winter out of doors,' thought the tree. "'The earth is hard and covered with snow. "'Men cannot plant me now, "'and therefore I have been put up here under the shelter "'till the springtime comes. "'How thoughtful that is! "'How kind man is, after all! "'If it were only not so dark here "'and so terribly lonely, "'not even a hare, "'and out in the woods it was so pleasant. "'When the snow was on the ground "'and the hare leaped by, "'yes, even when he jumped over me, "'but,' Eh, I did not like it then. It really is terribly lonely here. Squeak, squeak, said a little mouse at the same moment, peeping out of his hole. And then another little one came. They sniffed about the fir tree and rustled among the branches. It is dreadfully cold, said the mouse, but for that it wouldn't be delightful here, old fir, wouldn't it? I am by no means old, said the fir tree. There is many a one considerably older than I am. Eh, where do you come from? asked the mice. Eh, what can you do? They were so extremely curious. Tell us about the most beautiful spot on the earth. Have you ever been there? Were you never in the larder where cheeses lie on shelves and hams hang from above? Where one dances about on tallow candles? Uh, that place where one enters lean and comes out again fat and portly. I know no such place, said the tree, but I know the woods where the sun shines and where the little birds sing. And then he told all about his youth, and the little mice had never heard the like before, and they listened and said, Well, to be sure, uh, how much you have seen, how happy you must have been. I, said the fir tree, thinking over what he had himself related, Yes, in reality those were happy times. And then he told about Christmas Eve, when he was decked out with cakes and candles. Oh, said the little mice, how fortunate you have been, old fir tree. I am by no means old, he said. I came from the woods this winter. I am in my prime, and am only rather short for my age. What delightful stories you know, said the mice, and the next thing they came with four other little mice who wanted to hear the same tree story recounted. And the more he related, the more plainly he remembered all himself, and it appeared as if those times had really been happy times. But they may still come, and they may still come. Clumpy Dumpy fell downstairs, and yet he got a princess. And he thought at the moment of a nice little birch tree growing out in the woods to the fir. That would be a real charming princess. Who's Clumpy Dumpy? asked the mice. So then the fir tree told the whole fairy tale, and for he could remember every single word of it, and the little mice jumped for joy up to the very top of the tree. Next night, two more mice came, and on Sunday, two rats even. And then they said the stories were not interesting, which vexed the little mice, and they too now began to think them not so amusing either. Do you know only one story? asked the rats. Only that one, answered the tree. I heard it on my happiest evening, but I did not know how happy I was. It is a very stupid story. Don't you know one about bacon and tallow candles? Can't you tell any, any larder stories? No, said the tree. Yeah, then goodbye, said the rats, and they went home. At last, the little mice stayed away also, and the tree sighed. 
After all, it was very pleasant when the sleek little mice sat around me and listened to what I told them. Now that too is over, but I'll take good care to enjoy myself when I am bought out again. But when was that to be? Why, one morning there came a quantity of people and set to work in the loft. The trunks were moved. The tree was pulled out and thrown, rather hard, it is true, down on the floor. But a man drew him toward the stairs where the daylight shone. Now a merry life will begin again, thought the tree. He felt the fresh air, the first sunbeam. And now he was out in the courtyard. All passed so quickly. There was so much going on around him that the tree quite forgot to look to himself. The court adjourned a garden. Uh, joined a garden, and all was in flower. The roses hung so fresh and odorous over the balustrade, and the lindens were in blossom. The swallows flew by and said, Queer vit, my husband is come, but it is not the fir tree that they meant. Now, then, I shall really enjoy life, said he exultingly, and spread out his branches. But alas, they were all withered and yellow. It was in a corner that he lay among the weeds and nettles. The golden star of tinsel was still on the top of the tree and glittered in the sunshine. In the courtyard, some of the merry children were playing who had danced at Christmas around the fir tree and were so glad at the sight of him. One of the youngest ran and tore off the golden star. Only look what is still on the ugly old Christmas tree, said he, trampling on the branches, so that they all cracked beneath his feet, and the tree beheld all the beauty of the flowers and the freshness of the garden. He beheld himself and wished that he had remained in his dark corner of the loft. He thought of his first youth in the woods and of the merry Christmas Eve and the little mice who had listened with so much pleasure to the story of Clumpy Dumpy. "'Tis over, tis past," said the poor tree. "'Had I but rejoiced when I had reason to do so, "'but now tis past, tis past.' "'And the gardener's boy chopped the tree into small pieces. "'There was a whole heap lying there. "'The wood flamed up splendidly under the large brewing copper, "'and it sighed so deeply. "'Each sigh was like a shot. "'The boy's played about in the court, and the youngest wore the gold star on his breast, which the tree had on the happiest evening of his life. However, that was over now, the tree gone, the story at an end. All, all was over. Every tale must end at last. Well, there you have it. Leave it to Hans Christian Andersen to write the most depressing children's story you'll ever read. A little tree who just wanted to grow up to be important and uh, did, and then was discarded and treated horribly and even mocked by crappy children. Do you know how the story of uh, Hans Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid ends? She falls in love with a guy that she can't have, and in the end, she turns into sea foam. I'm not making that up. So that's just the kind of stories this guy writes. So that's a turd fest that I just threw for you. Uh, it's supposed to be a fun little holiday special, which turned into the saddest thing I probably ever read. So think about that as we try to surmise what we've learned in this episode. We've learned to never aspire to anything and uh, never, never uh, appreciate if things are going good, because you're probably going to be thrown away and mocked by children. Uh, 
And then there was that first story by Charles Dickens about the dancing. All I got out of that was naked calves moving around like half-moons that winked at you. That was weird. So, I'm going to chalk this one up as a... You can't hit a home run every time. I think that's what we're going to take away with this. Uh, Not everything is going to be knocked out of the park. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Tune in next week as I uh, read the story of the first Christmas tree. Thanks for listening.